Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive at one of the most difficult jobs on earth. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. I want to ask you a question about your teachers. You know how we rate a lot of things in life on a scale of one to four stars? You know, a four-star hotel or that movie that gets four out of four stars that we want to go watch. Well, inside your head, I want you to just take a second and rate your teachers on a scale of one to four stars, and I want you to rate them on one very specific thing. I want you to think about your teachers and their relationships with the parents at your school. So think for a minute about your teachers and how many stars out of four do they get from you when it comes to parent relationships. So think about that for a second. Is it four out of four stars? Is it two out of four stars? And it's probably different for every teacher, but in general, for your staff, if you had to put a number on it. Well, I just want you to think about what it would be like at your school if the parent communication part of your school improved significantly, improved dramatically. What if you could rate every one of your teachers, or almost every one of your teachers, four out of four stars in parent communication? What would that change? How would that change your school? How would that change your school culture? Well, I've got great news for you because today, on this episode of the Private School Leader Podcast, I'm going to teach you how to take your teachers to four out of four stars with parent communication and parent relationships. And I'm going to teach you how to teach your teachers the top five ways to build effective relationships with difficult parents. These are very practical strategies that you can start using with your teachers tomorrow, and they will lead to measurable results. Well, what do I mean by measurable results? I mean increases on parent satisfaction surveys, increased student retention rates, less parent complaints, and a significant drop in teacher turnover. About nine years ago, my teachers and I began to implement these strategies at our school, and we've been able to significantly improve the culture of parent-teacher communication. So by the end of this episode, you will be able to teach your teachers how to build more effective relationships with your parents. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground in today's episode, and I don't want you to miss anything. And in fact, I've created a free, I call it a plug-and-play PD of today's episode, that you can actually use with your teachers. It's a 50-minute webinar with everything that we're going to talk about today. And we can. And I also added the five C's of effective parent communication. We're not going to get to those today. But you can use this free webinar at a faculty meeting or maybe just with an individual teacher that you're trying to coach up in the area of parent communication. And you can find that webinar over at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode two. So Don't want you to miss anything, but I just wanted to make sure that you know that I'm taking good care of you today, and I've got that webinar for you and for your teachers. So before we get started, I want to set a framework for parent communication in private schools. And I think it begins by understanding why many parents are so emotional and so passionate about issues concerning their children and things that happen at your school. Sometimes your teachers probably wonder, well, why do the parents just get so upset and why do they get so emotional? And sometimes our teachers wonder why some of our parents are trying to tell us how to do our jobs. Well, there are two big reasons for this, and I want you to catch this. 
there are two things that are really behind why parents get so emotional and so passionate. And it is number one, they are sending their children and their money to our school. And number two, America has become a ratings-based service industry, and we are providing a service. Now, you might have cringed once or twice during those two things, but let me dive into that just for a second to set the frame for these five things that I'm going to teach today. First of all, what they send. When we wonder why parents get emotional, we just have to stop and remember in the terms, think about it in the terms of what they're sending to school. They're sending their children and their money to our private schools. And there's nothing on this planet that they care about more than their children. And they also work really hard to earn the money that they pay in tuition dollars. I've got three daughters and they're in their 20s now. And I still get really emotional about my daughters. And that was even more true when they were in lower school and middle school and high school. And I want them to be emotionally and physically safe. And I've made a huge emotional investment in their futures. And I love my daughters more than anything in this world. And I also have some anxiety about their futures, even though they're older and their uh, adult lives have already begun. And we're, in, we're engaged in high-stakes emotional work at our schools. And sometimes that emotion and passion and anxiety comes out in inappropriate ways from some parents. So the first reason is because they send their money and their children to our school. And number two, it's because we're providing a service. Now, we are shaping lives and we're helping children reach their full potential. That's true. We are keeping children physically and emotionally safe. That's true. We are doing very important work, but we are also providing a service. And most teachers don't like to think about our private school in terms of a business. But parents are sending us money, and we are providing a service every day. And we live, I live in America, and it has become a very ratings-based country in America, in North America. Yelp reviews, Travelocity reviews, does your Uber driver get three out of four stars? Did that restaurant provide good service? I'm going to write a review. In the history of our country, the voice of the consumer has never mattered more than it does today. I think it's unreasonable to expect that our parents are going to rate five different products and services during the day and then just turn off that part of the brain when it comes to the private school. And I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not saying that it doesn't feel gross sometimes. I'm just saying that it's true. Parents have very high expectations for the service that we provide and that is understandable. They are investing a great deal of money into the private school tuition. And if we live in a society where everything is rated and reviewed, and the voice of the consumer has never been more important, then it is understandable that parents are going to let us know, unfortunately sometimes loudly, when we don't meet those expectations. So they send their children and their money and we live in a ratings-based society. And that's the frame for why parents are so passionate and so emotional about their children's education. Okay, so now we've set the frame. Let's jump right into the five things that you can teach your teachers to do that will improve parent relations at your school. Number one, see the wall. Number two, remember the child in the chair. Number three, 
Turn listening into your superpower. Number four, build trust by keeping your promises. And number five, surprise and delight. Okay, let's dive into this together. Number one is see the wall. All right, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you are standing in your office at school and you're about six feet away from one of the more difficult parents at your school. And we're going to call her Sarah Miller for the purpose of this exercise. So you're standing in your office about six feet away from this parent. And between you and the parent is a brick wall that comes up to the height of about your chest. And at the top of the brick wall is a little white sign with black block lettering. And the sign says, Wall of Mutual Distrust. All right, so the brick wall, about up to your chest, you're standing about six feet away from the parent. Now I want you in your imagination to look more closely at the wall. It's made out of red bricks. Some of the bricks are pretty old. Some look so new that maybe they were just set into the mortar yesterday. Now look even more closely at your side of the wall and you'll notice that about half the bricks are written on and half are not. And so in your imagination, you're starting to read what is written on the bricks on your side of this wall. And you see the names of some of the most difficult parents that you've had to deal with as a private school leader. Parents that said things to you that hurt. Some of these names bring to mind some very tough decisions that you had to make about their child. So kind of let that sink in for a moment. But remember that this difficult parent, Sarah Miller, she's still standing there six feet away on the other side of this brick wall. And you kind of quickly step around the wall and you take a look at Sarah's side of the wall, the parent side of the wall. And what you see are about half the bricks have names on them and half the bricks don't. And you see names of some of your current and former teachers from your private school. You see your name. You see teachers that have taught Sarah Miller's daughter but you also see some other names that you don't recognize because these are the names of Sarah Miller's second grade teacher, the parent's teacher when she was a little girl, her second grade teacher, her fifth grade math teacher, her high school biology teacher. So you have put some bricks into this wall that commemorate the most difficult parents and toughest parent meetings from your career as a private school leader, but the parent has also contributed to the wall with her negative experience that she's had as a child when she was in school herself. But then she's also put some names on the wall that are some of her daughter's current and former teachers or maybe even a coach or a Girl Scout leader that are on this wall. Every brick has a name on it. Some on your side, some on the other side. You've contributed bricks to the wall, and the parent has contributed bricks to the wall. And remember, at the top of the wall is a little white sign that says the wall of mutual distrust. All right. Now, you might be multitasking as you listen to this podcast, but I want you to just stop what you're doing and really listen and catch this for a second. I had you use your imagination. You can see that wall there in your office with that parent. But the most important takeaway from this podcast is to know that the wall of mutual distrust exists between every teacher and every parent. The teacher has put some bricks into the wall from bad experience that they've had with parents. 
but every parent has put bricks into the wall because they've had some bad experiences with teachers, any teacher, a teacher from their own childhood or a teacher from their child's school experience. Maybe it was the daycare, the preschool before they even came to your school, but those bricks were put into the wall and now this wall exists. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter how it got there or who put more bricks into that wall, your teachers have to learn that it's their responsibility to make the brick wall smaller, even if the parent never removes a single brick. This is the key to improving parent communication is, is that the teacher has to understand that it's their responsibility to make the wall smaller, even if the parent never takes a single brick off of that wall. And this exists between every teacher and every parent, and some of these are only a foot tall. You know, those are those little tiny brick walls, and those are the dream parents that teachers actually look forward to seeing at parent conferences or in the carpool lane. And some of them might be knee-high or waist-high because it's been mostly positive interactions and no major problems between that parent or that teacher. But you and I know that some of these walls go all the way to the ceiling and push up into the ceiling tile, and it could be that 90% of those bricks were put there by the parent before your teacher even met that parent. It could be 50-50. It, the, prop, the, the point is, is that it just really doesn't matter. The bottom line is that your teachers have to accept that the wall of mutual distrust exists and that it doesn't matter how it got there and that the child is the one who will benefit if the teacher is intentional about taking bricks down off that wall whether or not the parent even takes down one brick. The bottom line is, is that our teachers can do things to make the brick wall smaller. So the first way that you can teach your teachers to build effective relationships with difficult parents is see the wall. And number two is remember the child in the chair. Several years ago, Dr. Heidi Hayes Jacobs came to our school to conduct a two-day PD on curriculum development. Heidi Hayes Jacobs is the author of Curriculum 21 and four other books about curriculum. And during her presentation, Dr. Jacobs put an empty chair in front of her and asked all of us to close our eyes. She then asked us to picture one of our students sitting in that chair. And then she said and asked us to make a promise that throughout the rest of the PD that we would always ask ourselves the question, what is best for the child in the chair? What is in the best interest of this particular child? She asked us to be intentional and prioritize the needs of that child over everything else when we made decisions. And that is one of the keys to shifting our mindset about parent communication. It is so easy to focus on the parent and the words that they say, especially when they're trying to tell our teachers how to do their jobs. We get emotional. We get defensive. We get focused on the words that they're saying, and it's so easy to forget about the child. It's so natural to focus on how the parent's words make us feel. We know that as leaders. We've sat in those meetings. We've heard those things come out of the mouths of parents, and sometimes they hurt. And we get defensive and we get upset. But we have to ask ourselves an important question. Is the parent a partner or an opponent? And if they're not a partner, then what are we doing for the child in the chair to partner with this parent? 
is the email or the phone call or the meeting something that I'm dreading? Or is it an opportunity to effectively communicate information that is in the best interest of the child in the chair? The first step is for our teachers to see the wall of mutual distrust. But the most important step is to get them to remember the child in the chair. We know that our teachers got into teaching because they love children. And there's nothing that is going to be big enough to do whatever it takes to establish effective partnerships with parents except for the love for the child. When those parents say those hurtful things, when they make it difficult, us loving those kids and wanting to change their lives is the thing that's big enough to get us to be intentional about the child in the chair. So we're talking about the five ways to build effective relationships with difficult parents. And we've covered number one, see the wall. Number two, remember the child in the chair. And now number three is turn listening into your superpower. Okay, I want to ask you if you've ever had this experience. I remember a meeting that I had about five years ago with a parent, and the parent was furious about something. I don't really remember what it was, but she came into my office and she was angry and her face was red, and she just started to talk and to yell and to cry and then yell some more, and she eventually ran out of steam. And I listened, I really listened, I tried to show empathy. I tried to make sure that I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say next. And I just tried to make sure that she knew that I had heard her. And at the end of the meeting, she didn't get everything that she wanted, but she thanked me. She said she felt like she had been heard. And we started to form a stronger partnership about how we could better take care of her child. And I'm sure that as private school leaders that you've had that same experience. But when it comes to listening, I strongly believe that we have a listening crisis in our country. There's so much noise and so much to distract us, our smartphones and social media and the news cycle that used to be 24 hours and now is like 24 minutes. And we've got Netflix and music and digital billboards when we drive along the road and that doesn't even take into account the white noise of stress from family responsibilities and bills and church and everything else in our lives. We've never been more distracted, but what that means is that being a really good listener is pretty rare, and rarity stands out and is remembered. And so we are going to teach our teachers to be intentional about active listening and turn it into one of their superpowers. So you know all about active listening body language with eye contact and leaning forward slightly and having a neutral or open posture and nodding. You know all of that. But one of the things that I think is important is to know that listening with the intent to respond is not active listening. We all have slipped into that habit of thinking when we are going to we're thinking about what we're going to say when that person takes a breath. Our brains cannot effectively do two things at the same time. So if we are preparing a great comeback or being defensive or saying, well, you're wrong about that, we're not really listening. So we need to try to listen and listening with the intent to respond is not active listening. Another thing we can try to do is hear above the noise. Sometimes 
our teachers will be involved in a meeting with an upset parent or they'll get an email with a lot of capital letters and exclamation points. And it's just so imperative that the teacher really hear what is going on behind all of that noise. Sometimes they are not really upset about the low grade on the science test and they're just scared that their child is not going to be ready for high school or whatever comes next. As we know, usually the real problem is not the first problem. And so we need to hear above the noise. And then we need to let them run out of steam. If the parent asks for the conversation, the teacher needs to let the parent speak first and let them talk without interrupting. We know how we feel when we are interrupted, when we're upset, and let the parent talk until they're done talking. Now, this could take a long time, and it feels a lot longer than it actually is, and the teacher can jot down some notes, especially when the parent says something that's not correct, but they can't interrupt. And eventually the parent will run out of steam, and they'll say what they want to say, and then the teacher can begin to address some things that the parent said. And then we need to keep the focus on the child and on the future. It's easy for the teacher to get all tangled up in he said, she said, and get defensive about a decision that they made or to correct the parent about something that they said. But a productive parent-teacher meeting is one that acknowledges the past without dwelling on it, provides clarity of where we are currently with the child, and then sets a path for the future with one or two steps. So let me hit you with that again. A productive parent-teacher meeting, whether it's on the phone or um, in person, it acknowledges the past without dwelling on it, provides clarity of where we are currently, and sets a path for the future with one or two concrete steps. And I know, I know. I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, okay, I know all this. My, my teachers, they, they don't, they know that too, but maybe that's not what they do. Well, we're going to teach them this, and we're going to teach them this together. And it may be that with that professional development, that plug-and-play PD that I mentioned that's available at the privateschoolleader.com slash episode two is a place to start. And maybe it's not something that you want to show to your teachers, but that you just need this framework to be able to teach them this yourself. So we want to build better relationships with difficult parents. Number one, we need to see the wall of mutual distrust. Number two, remember the child in the chair. Number three, turn listening into our superpower. And fourth is build trust by keeping your promises. Okay, stop. Just stop what you're doing and take one minute. And I want you to think about the best relationship that you have in your life right now. The best relationship that you have in your life. Now, you probably might picture more than one person, but I want you to just settle on one person. Picture that person. Could be your spouse or partner, a sibling, a best friend. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it's one of your children. But just picture that person in your mind. Okay. Now, ask yourself this question. If they make me a promise, will they keep it? Ask yourself the question. This person that you see right now, your best relationship in your life, if they make me a promise, will they keep the promise? And of course the answer is yes. And the reason that it's yes is because trust is the basis of all good relationships. And so we need to teach our teachers that the best way to build trust is for them to keep their promises. If a teacher says that they're going to do something, they need to do it. 
That sounds simple. It sounds like, of course. But it's actually very difficult for busy, well-intentioned, well-meaning teachers to keep track of what they say that they're going to do and then actually follow through on that. I think that there are many, many times when teachers have good intentions about doing the thing that was agreed to in the meeting, but because of how busy they are as private school teachers, it just doesn't happen. So how can you help your teachers keep their promises? Well, teach them a couple of strategies. First, they need to write down what they promise and then make an appointment with the promise. Now, the first thing is super simple. Of course, they're going to write it down. But what does it mean to make an appointment with the promise? Well, when your teachers say that they're going to do something, like check in with you, the parent in two weeks, or provide additional enrichment, or move someone's seat closer to the front of the room, they need to write it down and highlight it, but they need to make sure that it's easy to see. But the most important part is, is that they need to then go to their calendar as soon as the meeting ends and make an appointment with the promise. That means they actually create an appointment with themselves on their calendar for two weeks from the day of the promise to check in with the parent if that's what they said they would do or make a calendar appointment for two days later that says implement enrichment with Samantha. That's on the calendar. Or five appointments that literally last two minutes a day from 3.35 to 3.37 p.m. that says check in with Adam. So just think about that for a second. The teachers are so busy. They're too busy to remember the things that they promise and consistently follow through with those promises. And it's like a high wire act. It takes just one broken promise to destroy the trust that has been built with the parent. And it takes just one little tiny gust of wind to knock someone off of that tightrope in that high wire act. So writing it down prominently and then make an appointment with the promise, we'll take our fallible memories out of the equation and we'll ensure that we actually follow through. So remember at the beginning when we talked about emotions and said, well, why so emotional? It's because they're sending their kids and their money to the school. The thing that reduces parent and anxiety the most and reduces their emotions is confidence in the teacher and confidence comes from trust. There's no single thing that builds trust better than a kept promise. All right, the five ways to teach your teachers to have better relationships with difficult parents. Number one, see the wall. Number two, remember the child in the chair. Number three, turn listening into your superpower. Number four, build trust by keeping your promises. And we're ready for number five, which is surprise and delight. I want to tell you about something that I do every single day. So every day I eat pretty much the same thing for lunch and it's a microwavable lean cuisine or Weight Watchers or healthy choice kind of microwavable lunch. And just a quick aside here, a quick public service announcement that if you've never eaten one, the picture on the box does not match the flavor of the meal. So just letting you know that. But anyways, so I eat that every day and it usually takes about four to six minutes to heat it up. And while it's in the microwave, I do the same thing every day. I pull out my phone and I look at my photo gallery from the previous 24 hours of walking around school and taking pictures at lunch or recess or popping into classrooms. And then I send a few emails while my lunch is heating up. So a photo of a fifth grader playing football at recess, throwing a football, 
I put the photo in there, attach the photo. On the subject line, I type Adam slash recess, put his mom's email address in the to line, and I hit send. So that took about 30 seconds. But what did I just accomplish and why did I do it? Well, I know that Adam's mom has been concerned about him socializing at school and especially at recess with his classmates. So that photo is something that shows proof of what's happening at school and makes her feel good on the inside, and that's surprise and delight. And I do that every day when I heat up my lunch, and it has been transformational for my relationship with parents, and your teachers can do the same thing, just maybe not as often. I get that. But surprise and delight is actually what it says it is. It's unexpected, but it's also delightful. It causes the person on the receiving end to say, that made my day. It, it makes them smile. It makes them happy. It gives them a little hit of dopamine. And it is an incredible tool for rapport building with parents. If the interactions between your teachers and parents can be likened to a piece of machinery, then I believe that surprise and delight is the grease that lubricates everything and just keeps everything running smoothly. And I want to tell you a story to illustrate this. I want to tell you about the 58-second phone call. So several years ago, it was the first day of teacher in-service in August, and I'm standing there leading an in-service with my teachers, and I hear my phone ringing in my pocket, and I know that the ringtone is my daughter, Danielle. Well, Danielle had taken our van, our family van, up to the mechanic to have the inspection or some repair done on the van. And the mechanic gives our family a courtesy car to use. And Danielle called because she had broken down on her way to her, her college class. And she's along the side of the road. She said, Dad, there's smoke coming out from under the, the engine, from the hood, and I don't know what to do. And there I am at school, first day of teacher in-service. So I excused myself and I called up to the mechanic and um, Ruth answered the phone and I told her what had happened and she said, oh my goodness, Mr. Minkus, I'm so sorry. Um, we'll get a tow truck out there right away. We'll take your van and we'll bump it to the top of the list so maybe when your daughter gets back to the garage, it will be repaired and she could just use the van and so, so sorry for this inconvenience and I'll call you and let you know once your daughter is back here at the garage. And so that's exactly what happened. They went, they got Danielle, they towed their courtesy car back, but um, the tow truck brought Danielle back to the mechanic. By the time that she got to the garage, our van was repaired, and then she went off and missed just one class that day, but she was safe, and that's what was most important to me. But that's not the story. That's not the end of the story. That would That would be a pretty good customer service if that was the story, but one week later, I remember the phone, my phone rings, my cell phone, and I look at the screen and it's the garage. And I thought, well, that's strange. And so I answered it and it was Ruth. And she said, hey, Mr. Minkus, um, just wanted to check in with you um, and make sure that everything is okay with your van, with the repair. And just wanted to apologize again for our courtesy vehicle breaking down. And I know that was inconvenient and that that was probably a little bit scary for your daughter and just really sorry about that and just hope she's okay and hope that everything is going okay with your van. And I said, well, yeah, everything's great. Like, thanks for calling. And I hung up the phone and I looked down and it was blinking and it said 58 seconds. That's how long the phone call was. But you know what happened in those 58 seconds? 
they created a fan for life. They created a raving fan from me. They took care of my daughter and then they did a little extra and it was unexpected and it was surprise and delight, but they did something where going above and beyond that made an emotional connection with that business. And I'll never take my car anywhere else. In the first episode of the Private School Leader podcast, I talked about live the quote. And the Maya Angelou quote is, people will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And that's what Surprise and Delight is all about. There are links in the show notes to some things about Nordstrom and Zappos. They have legendary stories about their client service model. And one of those stories is about a man that was on a layover at O'Hare in Chicago. He realized he had left his dress shoes at home and an employee from the Nordstrom in Chicago drove out to the airport with a pair of dress shoes in his size and then they billed him later. So client service versus customer service. Teachers hate to hear about the parents being customers because the idea of the customer is always right comes to mind and teachers hate that. Well, professionals have clients, not customers. You have legal advisors or you have financial advisors, you have therapists, and they have clients, not customers. So our parents are clients and we want to treat them like clients with great client service. But what does that look like for your teachers? What does surprise and delight look like for your teachers? Well, it could be as easy as sending that photo with Adam on the subject line. Photos are so powerful and your teachers carry an amazing camera with them all day in their cell phone. And of course they're busy, but a really short email when the student has a rock star moment, especially if there's a photo attached, that if we can just help them to remember to be intentional about doing this and help them find the time to do this, that it is incredibly powerful. And that is how our teachers can use surprise and delight. So what are the big takeaways from today's episode? First of all, between every teacher and parent, there's a wall, and that wall is called the wall of mutual distrust. And our teachers need to recognize that it exists and realize that they have ability to take some bricks off that wall and realize that they put some bricks there as well as the parent. And the second takeaway is is that we need to remember the child in the chair. As difficult as some parents can be to deal with, those interactions become more effective when the teacher intentionally prioritizes the child's needs. And then third, we can teach our teachers to make listening into their superpower through intentional practice of active listening. And if we will just remind our teachers that they can build trust by keeping their promises and then make an appointment with the promise, that can build trust and increase the depth of those partnerships with parents. And then the fifth thing was surprise and delight can be a powerful way to build relationships and goodwill with parents so that they're more likely to partner with our teachers in the future. So what's next? So you're probably thinking, okay, well, that's great and all. I've heard this before, but how do I get this into the heads and hearts of my teachers? Well, I said before that I've created a free 50-minute webinar titled How to Build Effective Relationships with Difficult Parents. And the webinar contains everything that I just shared with you in this podcast episode, as well as the five C's of effective parent communication 
and some other specific tips that your teachers can start to use right away. And that webinar is there for you to use as you wish, along with a PDF of the guided notes. You can use this as a plug and play PD with all of your teachers, or maybe you just want to incorporate these strategies into your coaching of a specific teacher. I don't really care how you deliver these strategies. I just want them to be available to you to use them because I've seen how these strategies work at our school and how we've been able to transform the culture of parent-teacher interactions. And I just want that for your school. But most importantly, the children are the ones that have benefited the most from these partnerships. And these strategies have really unlocked that for us at our school. So again, you can find all of that over at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode two. The Private School Leader podcast exists to help you thrive and not just survive at one of the most difficult jobs in the world. Just remember that you are the hero of this story and that survival mode is the villain of this story. And from one private school leader to another, I know that you have a very, very difficult job and that you have very specific issues that you face at your school. And my goal is to take my 30 years of experience and just try to be practical with this podcast so that you can learn how to grow as a leader, but also try to help guide you with some tools and strategies that you can use right away. A new episode of the Private School Leader Podcast comes out every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode and please leave a review because I would love to get your feedback. Head on over to theprivateschoolleader.com and check out the free resources that are there for you. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, look for at the private school leader. And if you got value from this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, but also share the podcast with one other leader or an aspiring leader at your school. I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking some of your precious time to join me here today. And I'll see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember, serve first, lead second, and make a difference.